Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. Hello, beautiful people. This is your host, Blem. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of MLS Gone Wild, and welcome to Phase 3 of the MLS regular season play. What up to my people? This is Pooh Fisher, man. Welcome back for another episode. Let's get it going. How we doing, boys? How we doing, listeners? This is Mike D. It's Thursday, one of my favorite days of the week, if not my favorite, because it's Mexican night. Now, to all of you out there that might be listening, you might ask, what does that even mean? Well, long story short, Blake, Blem, my girlfriend Lauren, and I have been going to the same place little Mexican joint for the past five plus years, every Thursday. We love their food, we know the people, and we have started almost a cult following some of the friends and family. So it's always a good time, and who doesn't love a low-cost margarita with loaded amounts of tequila in it? I think they're 225, is that correct? 275. 275, I'm 50 cents short, I'm very sorry. Mike D, can you cover me? Got you. I don't get paid to podcast, so I need somebody to cover that 50 cents. Wow. I just, I'm just saying wow right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in this episode of MLS Gone Wild, we'll be discussing our goals of the week from last weekend's matches, the race for the top spot in the Eastern Conference, Gonzalo Higuain's debut plagued by his, his missed PK, and an update on the Colorado Rapids COVID-19 situation. Let's start off with the fun stuff, fellas. The final week of phase two of MLS return to play gave us 30 goals and 12 matches. Of the 30, Mike D and Poopus, which one was your goal of the week and why? So, I shall go with the Chicago Fire against Atlanta game. You know, Chicago Fire beat them 2-0. And Fabian Herbers had a great, great little half volley off a through ball from Jimenez in the seventh minute. Fucking made a, I want to say, 18-yard run to the box. Had a little nice little flick of the foot with the ball. Landed perfectly right in front of him. Volleys it a little bit. Right past the keeper for Atlanta. And, Atlanta, I mean, come on. Anybody's beating Atlanta nowadays because Atlanta's just fucking trash. Straight up trash now. But I thought that goal was, was a thing of beauty. After making that run and do, doing a little flick of the foot, with the ball? Oh, absolutely beautiful. Now I have, I have a quick question, Poopus. Was it a – was it, in quotes, a flick of the foot or was it a bad touch that led to the half volley? That was a flick of the foot. Hey, all right. it's a goal. It's a goal. So, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. I know there were 30 goals scored. For me, the goal of the week came from – or came against our beloved Columbus crew – against Toronto FC. You hate to see it, but Richie Larea receives a ball from Marky Delgado in the midfield, passes it over to the right side. He's going up against Milton Valenzuela, does a small feint that absolutely destroys this man, throws him off kilter, gets enough space to dribble through him. Pedro Santos comes flying in, try to defend him. No chance. No chance at all. He does a little cut with his right foot to his left, creates more space for himself, takes another touch inside, and Williams comes in, 
Can't seem to defend it. Richie Larea with no angle smashes it low and hard in between Eli Room's legs. You hate to see it. I hate to see it. As Columbus Crew fans, we all hate to see it. But this is the goal of the week for me because of the composure that Larea had to take on three defenders or, or, or three Columbus Crew players to get as close as he got to the, the goal and, and put it away. Some would say, yeah, with no angle, Eloy Room should, should stop that goal. But you know what? When you have as much composure and you have the technical ability that Richie Larea has to take on three Columbus Crew players to get that close to the goal, sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And he got it. Uh, wow. let, me just, let me just interject here. Chicharito had the same kind of opportunity for the LA Galaxy this week, didn't score a goal. The Canadian international, Richie Larea, looked a little bit like the number 10 in the Argentina jersey. Lionel Messi flying down that right side and cutting inside. But you got to go back to Chicharito is also trash. So he hasn't scored a goal. He hasn't, he hasn't, been, goal he hasn't been good. He's been the demise, I think, of LA Galaxy. But, you know, the goal of the week for me goes to, goes to Richie Larea, not only, you know, because of that, he also was the player of the game and the player of the week, according to the MLS. You know, two assists and a goal on that game. Absolutely stunning performance. All these things I hate to say, but I'm trying to remain unbiased. Fantastic goal from the lad. You just got to make yeah. sure you keep the five-hole closed, though. Make sure you keep the five-hole closed. That's facts. That is facts, but it's difficult to do, man. When the goal is that big, you got you to gotta make yourself big. So. Absolutely. Unf- Unfortunate for Eloy room there and well-deserved by Richie Larea two assists and a goal that it, that warrants a MLS player of the week. So good for him. Canadian international doing big things. Him and Alfonso Davies, Mark Anthony K also Canadian international. So we got some Canadians doing big things in the MLS guys. My goal of the week comes from a team who was winless since the MLS's back tournament. San Jose are winless no more. Thanks to a 94th minute game winner from Jackson, Jackson Yule. With a minute and 15 seconds left on the clock until the four minutes of stoppage time expired, the San Jose Earthquakes earned a throw in deep in LAFC's defensive third. 16-year-old Cade Cow receives the throw in with three black jerseys surrounding him. He puts his strength on display as he took the ball and all three defenders to the corner, leaving his teammate Christian Espinosa wide open at the corner of the 18. After a pullback, Cow got a lucky bounce to find Espinosa. Espinosa takes the ball in line, avoiding some really sloppy LAFC defending before finding a slashing Jackson Yule at the near stick to score the game winner. For me, it was as much about the celebration as it was the goal. The sideline absolutely erupted after the goal, and rightfully so. Over the last month, the Earthquakes have suffered huge losses, 5-1, 7-1, 6-1, and 5-0. So they have every right to celebrate. If you remember, this is the same team that popped the blue smoke on the sideline of the MLS's back tournament after a 98-minute game winner from Shea Salinas. Boys, this team may be bad, but they sure as hell aren't boring. They've been boring since the MLS's back tournament. So, I knew that was coming. So, they, they aren't boring. Every game that they play in, you want to watch because there will be goals. Like I just said, they're 5 They themselves may be – they're not boring. Their style of play just allows the other team to create chances. So it's, it's always fun to watch when San Jose is on the field because you know goals are coming. Yeah, it's and always, 
Good. It goes back to the uh, terrible MLS defenses that are out there right now, though, to be honest. And that's a, that's a big part of we, what we've seen since MLS is back tournament, that MLS defenses are complete trash for some of these teams. There's no defense at all. And, and if you take a close look at it, if you go to the standings and just look at the, the goal differential, goals, goals for, goals, goals against, and the Western Conference, they're giving up substantially more goals than the Eastern Conference teams are. They're giving up goals in bunches in Western Conference matches. But, but, but before we get really get sidetracked, Jackson Yule, okay, U.S. men's national team player, pool player, um, his run, he started at the top of the 18 before the ball was played into Chris, Christian Espinoza, and he made a slashing run in between both of the, the center backs towards the near post, and he did a cheeky little – I didn't know what to call it, so I'm going to call it a cheeky Cruyff of a finish. He let it run past his front left foot, and just like Giassi Zardes did a couple weeks ago with that back right foot, uh, just kind of flicked it in the back stick. So it, it was a very creative finish, and it was very important for that team that desperately, desperately needed a win. And even though they only have 14 points and sit bottom of the Western Conference, they're only a couple points out of the, the bottom spot in the Western Conference playoffs. So huge win for them. And I, I for Almeida, their, their head coach, it's, it's a huge win for him. I don't want to say he's on the hot seat, but they, they need to do something big in the offseason, sign some more players. He plays a very unique system, uh, but he needs some more playmakers on that team other than Vaco. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. The Western Conference is – they're giving up tons of goals. The Western Conference is also very tight. You know, you got guys and teams that are at the bottom of the, the table, but – any any couple stretch of games where a team wins consecutively, you might be able to flip that that Western Conference on its head, which is the opposite of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, good segue there, Mike D. With nine games remaining for all MLS teams, this is the home stretch to the playoffs. The first place Columbus Crew and the fourth place Orlando City are separated by only four points while second and third place Philly and Toronto are tied on 28. In this year's playoffs, 10 of the 14 Eastern Conference teams will make the playoffs. Seeds 6 through 10 uh, – I think I'm wrong here. Seeds 7 through 10, 7, 8, 9, 10, 7 through 10 will play in games to face the number one and two seeds. Sorry about that, guys. Numbers are difficult sometimes, just like names in the last episode. With the current top four Eastern Conference teams eyeing the first and second seed, how do you see the top four finishing and why? Well, after the last game with the crew, I really don't know. I mean, I hope they do finish top, but they look too, too shaky for me. Too shaky against that Toronto side. And I didn't think that Toronto side was going to have it against the crew, but especially where the first half went, Toronto looked like they were invisible at like the whole entire time. But I don't know. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a close one. Like I don't, the crew might finish second, but I really hope they do finish first. But Toronto's looking really good so far, so we'll just hope for the best. So Poopus, with that being said, if you had to rank your finishing top four for the Eastern Conference, who would how would it go? Uh, I mean, I'm just gonna say crew first because I'm a crew supporter, and then I'm gonna say Toronto second. 
And then I'm going to go with Philly third. And I'm going to say, let's Orla see. Orlando. Well, he might be thinking about another team. He might be thinking about a team that's coming in, uh, you know, from fifth down. The closest, the closest, the team that's at fifth is New England at twenty-one. Those boys are sneaking. They're they're just they're hanging out there. I mean, do a bow, which he he fucking says he sets aside for New England right now. He's he's a killer. But I don't. You know what? Let let me give a little bit of credit to Dylan over at Full On B Soccer. We'll, we'll, we'll put Orlando in there. We'll put, put Orlando in there for him. Just for him, though. That's all I'll do it for. That's love right there. That's love. Me, personally, I honestly think all bias aside that it pains me to say this, this is Orlando's year. We could talk about stat lines. We talk about power rankings. But aside from that, I think it's it's just written in the stars for the Lions this year with – a new head coach with a new look in terms of playing style. They have a really good shot at jumping closer to the top of the table. And I know that the crew have that, had their struggles and have, for lack of a better term, been kind of inconsistent in the past five years, you know, finishing in the MLS. But we want to see them do good, obviously, and especially with the form that they've brought to this season. But I think that, Honestly, Orlando has the easiest schedule in the last nine games compared to these top four teams. So, for me, my rankings are Columbus, Orlando, Philly, and Toronto. And here's why. Columbus's defense has been so solid all season long, despite the Toronto game where they gave up those, those three goals. You know, they're missing Nagby, and once he comes back, I think that they're going to be right back on track. They're going to start rolling again. Orlando, like I said, they have the easiest schedule, in my opinion. They play Columbus. Um, and maybe you could talk about New York City FC and the New York Red Bulls, but these teams, to me, have been very inconsistent. And other than that, Orlando's playing teams like Inter-Miami, Atlanta, Montreal. And I'm sorry, Darby's aside, Atlanta – and Inter-Miami are not good right now. So I don't care about Darby's. I know Darby's normally bring a, a, a different kind of arena, and they, they bring a different kind of atmosphere to the games, regardless of, of, of records. But it's, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that Orlando is going to just – they're going to dominate their, their last nine games. Before you go, Chuck, unless you have something to say that's important. Yes, it's relevant to what you're saying about the schedules and how it pertains to Orlando City. So I have four notable upcoming matches listed out, and those are games with that are between teams in the top four of the Eastern Conference, and Orlando is only involved in one of them. They play Columbus on the 11th of this month of October. You have Philadelphia that are playing in three of those four games that have matchups between the top four. Philly has Columbus. Uh, and Toronto FC twice. Orlando, like you said, Darby's aside, they do have the easiest schedule of the top four remaining in the fact and that they only have to face Columbus out of the top four exactly. going, for, going forward in the next nine games. To my point with my explanations of the teams and the rankings right now. So I got Columbus at one because slight little bias there, but really for me it's the defense. We're talking about eight goals allowed in 14 games. 
Three of those goals came against one team. That's important. If they can keep that form, fantastic. I think they will keep that form because that back line has been very strong. I talked about Orlando having the easiest schedule. Third for me in the Eastern Conference is going to be Philadelphia. And I don't think that this is because of the skill set of Philadelphia. This is just an unfortunate turn of events, I think, for my positioning and where they land in the Eastern Conference after these nine games because of the schedules of other teams. I mean, Philadelphia has to play Toronto two times, like you said. They have to play Columbus again. And simply because of those two teams and the amount of times they have to play them, regardless of their form, I think that Toronto and Columbus are going to have something to say about where they sit. And that's just, I think, Philadelphia having an unfortunate turn of events coming forward. Toronto, I think that they have the hardest schedule in the next nine games. They're playing Philly twice. They're playing a New England team who's hanging out in five. And they have to play the New York Red Bulls two times. The New York Red Bulls have had Toronto's number recent form in recent, in recent years. So in their past, in their past four meetings, they're, they've only won one of those three, those one, those four games, excuse me. So Toronto is one and three against the New York Red Bulls who right now is they're sitting mid table. They're not a great, they're not a great team. They're not consistent, but they've had Toronto's number. So I think that they're going to sit there and they have the toughest schedule in the, in the last nine games. The, Re- the Rebels are sneaky, too. The Rebels are sneaky. That's the thing. You got to remember. So, I don't know. They could, they could honestly make a run at the, here, here near the end. I can see them making the playoffs, the Red Bulls. Or they could. They could. They're just – for me, right now, looking at the tables, New York Red Bulls sits there in the middle and looking at their, their recent form and, and how many – in the games that they've played, they're inconsistent. So, yeah, they have, I, mean, I, they, I think they could do it, and especially against Toronto because they've had their number. I just think that Toronto is going to sit fourth at the end of it. I know you keep talking about their form and how they have Toronto's number. Yes, they do have eight goals in the past two games. One of those games most recently was against a very, very poor FC Cincinnati. But a team that really – and so, so to my point, the New York Red Bulls are a very new team. It's not the same – it's not your Red, New York Red Bulls of last year, two years ago. It's a, it's a very new uh, Red Bulls team. So there's no Bradley Wright Phillips. And they have a bunch of young players, Brian White up top, a, a bunch of younger players. So I, I understand what you're saying. They can be a sneaky team. They're a little bit inconsistent. And really what we've seen this season is it's, it's really hard to pick these games because any team can be inconsistent. But one team that has, I don't want to say been inconsistent, but has split games with both, with both Columbus and Toronto is New York City FC. They have a win and a loss against New York City FC has both a win and a loss against the Columbus crew and Toronto FC this season. Granted, they're going to be without their striker, a bear, their striker, a bear who has scored 15 goals last year, but he's out this year due to a torn ACL that recently happened. Matrita stepped up last week with a brace against Cincy, but you know, who knows, but Boys, my top four, I want to say that Columbus Crew is going to finish at top of the East. I've seen it happen too many a times. I've seen the Columbus Crew crumble. I'm not going to say they're going to crumble this year, but I don't think they're necessarily going to 
completely rise to the occasion to win the Supporters' Shield and win the Eastern Conference. For me, after seeing that last game and seeing the adjustments that Greg Vanny made against Caleb Porter's Columbus Crew SC, I think that Toronto FC are a more well-oiled machine. They're a better overall team than the Columbus Crew are. Columbus Crew may have some better pieces, but as a team, Toronto FC, I believe in my mind, is a better team. And the fact that they can make these adjustments at halftime and come out and score three unanswered goals proves to me that you are an elite team, like I spoke about in the last podcast. Uh, They're elite up there with like the Seattle Sounders. They are the Seattle Sounders of the East, Toronto FC are. So I foresee Toronto FC finishing atop of the East this year. I I do see the Columbus crew keeping pace, and I see the Columbus crew finishing second and that might be by no more than three points. By no more than a game do I see Toronto FC taking the East from the crew. After that, I do see Orlando sneaking in there. Orlando scores goals all over the pitch. Ruan out wide right, their right back. Uh, he does really well with Christian, or Christian Mueller out there right as well. Your, your whole team is absolutely stacked. Nani out left. Uh, DK up top. Their team is stacked. They have goals everywhere. I would be a a shame of myself if I didn't mention Pereira at the number 10. Uh, Pereira, their new head coach, has done a great job of creating a system that he wants to to implement in Colombian soccer that he used to play and that he wants to see them play. I, I, I do see them continuing to score goals, continuing to win games, continuing to surprise people and finishing third in the Eastern Conference. And I am going to close that out by saying Philadelphia, we just had Brendan Aronson on the podcast. They currently sit in, what did I say? Third, tied, for, tied, for, tied for second place with Toronto. I foresee them you know, finishing fourth. And I'm not really, you know, this isn't a slight to any of these teams. It's going to be very competitive down the stretch. Everybody's going to be playing a lot of games in a very short amount of time about a game every four days. So it's not a slight to anybody. So I see it finishing Toronto, Columbus, Orlando, Philly. All right. So uh, going back to your saying of the uh, sad FC Cincinnati team. So, you know, the Rebels beat them. But why do you think if you say a strong Philadelphia side tied FC Cincinnati 0-0, what's your take on that if you're saying FC, FC Cincinnati is such a sad team? And I think I Philadelphia couldn't beat them. I think I could have. I think I answered it in my response, saying that it's 2020 and this year is very unpredictable. Anybody can beat anybody. We just seen San Jose, who hasn't won a game since the MLS's back tournament, come out and beat LAFC in the 94th minute. These things happen on a week in, week out basis in the MLS this year, and really not even this year. Like the MLS is kind of a surprising league if it's you know if it's not a Columbus Crew versus a a lower-tiered Eastern Conference team or a Seattle Sounders versus a lower-tiered Western Conference team. Anybody can surprise anybody on a given day. And the fact that Philadelphia is used to playing on their pristine pitch in Philadelphia and they have to go to FC Cincinnati, who plays on the Cincinnati Bearcats football field on a really crappy football field in the rain. I I mean, it's just a really poor – Hey, no no excuses. Honestly, no excuses. You you should be able to beat a sad FC Cincinnati team for Philadelphia, though. You got you got tons of got good guys on the on the team that can should be able to score goals against a sad FC Cincinnati team, but yet then you have 
the New York Rebels beating FC Cincinnati. Absolutely. But we're, we're, we're all crew fans, and we see the crew drop points to teams like this as well. The Philadelphia Union, Brendan Aronson said it on our podcast. I forget which team he was talking about. It's really hard to play against a team that sits in, especially for him, who's a number 10, and you can't freely run throughout the midfield because you always have somebody on your back. So when you are playing against these teams that are lower in the standings, they're going to play a different style. They're going to try to play to not lose the game. They're going to try to play to tie or try to play to get a counterattack. And that's what they did. And in 2020, and is just it's, – it's different. It, it really – is different so yes Poopus I understand what you're getting at but anybody can beat anybody on a given day I don't think at any at any point of the season Cincinnati has ever looked better than Philadelphia anybody can tie anybody on a given day it's a game of soccer we've all played it right well I mean well no kidding right I think it's it's just like what we saw in the MLS's back tournament you didn't expect Cincinnati to beat Atlanta but what did they do? Tactically, they sat in, and they ended up coming out with the W on top. And just like Blake said, anybody can be beaten on any given day. I don't think that the the, the tie to Phil or to the tie for Philadelphia to Cincinnati was something that speaks to the skill level of Philadelphia. I think that everybody has a bad game every now and again. And we really haven't seen that from Philadelphia. I think that probably was the most surprising game that we've seen from Philadelphia all season long. I agree, but I mean, you can't make uh, excuses about the field. Like, no, you're going to play soccer everywhere. So, no, I think that everybody's going through 2020. It's, it's a crazy year. There's a lot of mental preparation, but saying that Philadelphia losing to Cincinnati is, is something to take note of is, Dying Cincinnati. <laughs> you know, I mean, Liverpool loses to Arsenal every now and again, too, but. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I know, but, you know, he, Philadelphia is so strong to him. So, you know, just throwing out there and not getting the, too much credit to New York Rebels. I mean, they're a very strong team. I You can't not put Philadelphia and the New York Red Bulls in the same category this year. You just can't. Not this year. Not this year. Well, no, but, I mean, New York Rebels are a sneaky team, so, you know, you got to give them a little bit of credit of, you know, whooping the ass on FC Cincinnati. Sneaky? See, you say sneaky, but sneaky to me is almost the same as inconsistent. It's just kind of like a euphemism. You almost make, exactly. I mean, they are, you they make are it, inconsistent, but they're, they've always been a sneaky team when they've struggled. I wouldn't say they've been sneaky always. New York Red Bulls is a very prestigious team, which I got corrected for in a previous podcast. But New York Red Bulls this year, like Blake said, without – Bradley Wright Phillips and some of these key players that they have had in the past, their form is not the same. And to me, it's inconsistency to you. Maybe it's sneaky and you might be right. I mean, sitting at the mid table like that, when there's as many players or excuse me, as many teams that are going to make it into the playoffs, absolutely. They can make a run, but they got to, they have to be consistent to do so. We'll just see what happens. That's all we got to do. All right. So since we're talking about the Red Bulls guys, there is a, what is there a seven point gap between no I, I I'll correct myself so between Orlando City who has 26 points and New England who has 21 there's a five point gap between fourth and fifth 
Do you think that there's any teams below that fourth place line that can make a push for the top four in the East? Well, I don't have the standings up in front of me, Chuck, and I don't know it all by heart. So I'm going to say no, honestly, because from what I remember seeing earlier today and the research that I've done, anything below seven isn't, isn't a factor. I think that your bigger threats are going to be New England, the Red Bulls, and New York City. Anything under that is, is not a threat, in my opinion. And then all these, I mean, all the other teams, like, underneath the table are going to try to beat these teams higher up already to knock them down. So, I mean, the standings can switch at any moment. And we talked about it a little bit, Blake, you and I at dinner, about the Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is very top-heavy, right? So, one through really six, in my opinion, and, and you could throw seven in there because they're probably close to, to six, but one through seven doesn't really have a shot. The Western Conference is a totally different topic of conversation because you have teams that are one, two, three, four points within being from nine to five or from nine to four or whatever the case may be. So in the Eastern Conference, no, I don't think that there's teams that are below seven that can, that can make a run and make it in. All right, so I got a team that's below seven. We got the Montreal Impact sitting at 16 points. They beat in Toronto. That's their one big notable win of the year. They beat Toronto 1-0 on September the 1st. The reason I'm bringing them up, Mason Toy, ex-Minnesota United FC player, was just acquired via trade for $600,000 in a 2021 Super Draft pick. In his 2019 season, he recorded six goals and three assists in 820 minutes. Toy recently lost his spot in the starting 11 after Minnesota United signed veteran striker, ex-Columbus crew striker, Kai Kamara. With Montreal having the ability to move Kyoto out wide, Toy will be able to get valuable minutes in his natural position under impact coach and, come on you Gunners, Arsenal legend, Thierry Henry. What are your guys' thoughts on that move? And do you guys think that Montreal can move up from that eighth spot? I don't think Montreal's just confused in general. They're totally confused. They, I mean, you lost to like a you lost to a team four four to one. Not, I mean, speaking of, it was the Red Bulls too. So, I don't know. They haven't been they haven't been good all season. So, I really don't. I mean, he's gonna score a goal maybe here and there, but I don't see him doing anything. Not making the playoffs. Sure, great acquisition for the impact. Gets to play under Thierry Henry. Fantastic. The Montreal Impact are an afterthought. Uh, maybe they move up a couple spots, but to me, they're not making an impact, pun intended. So, no. For me, it's not happening for them. I think that, like you said, we talked about it a little bit. This team has given up a lot of goals, and they probably should have signed a defender before they signed a striker. So to give our listeners a little bit of context, outside of the top four of Columbus, Philly, Toronto, and Orlando, Montreal has actually scored the fifth most goals in the Eastern Conference with 20. 20 goals scored. And they really don't have a great striker right now. And so Mason Toy is coming in to fill in that void. But they have given up the most goals in the Eastern Conference. They are leaking goals with 27 goals. 
So I don't know if they want Mason Toy to put up like a Hattie a game or what, but he's not going to solve the, the issue. The pipes are bursting in Montreal. So Thierry Henry's really got to he, – he's got to fix the back four, the back – almost the back six because he plays with wing backs. <laughs> Agreed. But – so I'm a huge Arsenal fan. Mason Toy is a physical, lanky – fast striker that can get in behind. Do you think that Thierry Henry is going to have a positive impact on his career in the MLS? And I did see a quote today from Adrian Heath saying that Adrian Heath would like to see and Mason Toy would also like to see for himself to go overseas as he's only 21 years old. Do you think that Thierry Henry is going to help with this? I'd like to think so. When you have a head coach like Thierry Henry, who is a legend, overseas for one of I hate to say the best teams in in European soccer during his time of course especially being a striker you would love to think that he would be able to pass on some of that knowledge to a striker like Toy so I'm going to say yes I think that if anything if he doesn't get anything he gets some knowledge from Thierry Henry that he can build his game off of and I look forward to it for Mason Toy. I look forward to, to watching his development for Montreal. Unfortunately, his form wasn't exactly how it was in 2019. He wasn't capitalizing on chances. So hopefully he does so in Montreal under Thierry Henry. But, fellas, before we get going on Gonzalo Higuain's Miss PK, because I know we're going to go in on that one, we're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. We'll catch you guys in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible, elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at at a time outfitters hi guys welcome back to mls gone wild season two episode 11 thank you guys for sticking with us through that quick break from our, our advertisement from added time outfitters please use code mls gone wild i lied to you gone wild g-o-n-e-w-i-l-d gone wild all one word at checkout to get 10 percent off of your entire order Again, added time outfitters at checkout. Use Gone Wild, G-O-N-E-W-I-L-D, at checkout to get 10% off. So, like I said right before the break, we were going to get into this Gonzalo Higuain, his debut, and his missed PK. So, Gonzalo Higuain, the $7 million man, the highest paid MLS player in the MLS this season, the prolific Argentine striker who scored 250 club goals for clubs such as Real Madrid, Napoli and Juventus made his MLS debut for former teammate David Beckham's Inter Miami 
FC on Sunday night in a 3-0 loss to the Philadelphia Union. Iguain had two good looks at goal in the match. One, what would have been a spectacular overhead kick that went off the post. The other, a nightmare miss from the PK spot in the 77th minute. He did complete 23 of his 25 passes. However, with that being said, what were your thoughts on Gonzalo, Gonzalo Iguain's PK miss and his overall debut performance? I mean, to start off, he, nobody's perfect. So, everybody's going to have a missed PK. Look at Chicharito. Even before this man came into Miami, Chicharito is the big name on, on, the, on the campus for the MLS. And look what that man has done. Absolutely nothing. So, he comes into in Miami and misses a PK. So, what? He still looked really good on the field for Inter-Miami. So, I wouldn't lose all hope with him. He looked a lot better than what Chicharito has ever done for LA Galaxy. So, I mean, nobody's going to be perfect, though. You're going to miss a PK. All right. whoop de do. I agree. He – it was his first game. It was his debut. So, nobody's perfect. You're right. However, this man is regarded as one of the most prolific goal scorers of his generation. And you can't finish a PK. I mean, I'm talking – 107 goals and 190 appearances for Real Madrid. And you can't put away the soccer equivalent of a basketball free throw. This is shocking to me. Blake said he's got two good looks on, on goal, right? Really, he had three good looks on goal. He had a 13-minute shot on goal that went just over the bar. He had almost a bicycle kick probably seven minutes after that. And then he goes in the 75th minute or so to take a PK. You got to put that away. And this isn't the first time we've seen this in recent history with, with Higuain. With this missed PK, this is now his fourth consecutive missed PK attempt, dating all the way back to 2018. Granted, like I said, they've been far and, between, you know, far and few in between with you know, 2020 and 2018, but it makes sense why that might be the case. Clearly, the man can't put the ball in the back of the net from the spot. Aside from that, he didn't look bad. You know, 23 of 20, 25 passes, but you don't pay a striker to make passes. You pay a striker to put the ball in the back of the net. So I think that for this situation, yes, it was his first game. It was his debut with Inter-Miami. He's coming into, frankly, a situation that's not great, playing with Inter-Miami, who's awful. and. I think that it's a fantastic addition and something that Inter-Miami needed, but something tells me that we're not going to really see this team do well until next season. They came in at a really messed up time, COVID-19. A lot of things for me come down to mentality, right? So a lot of things to think about. When you're a good team, you, you, you gel well and you mesh well, and everybody's on the same page. And that comes from experience. You have teams like the Columbus Crew. You have teams like Toronto FC. You have teams like Philadelphia who have been doing this and doing this and doing this. And Inter-Miami comes in in 2020, and they're brand new. They're figuring all this stuff out. So, for me, I don't think Inter-Miami is a lost cause. I think that the signing of Iguain was fantastic. I thought that his performance in the first game really wasn't bad. I think that they're going to figure some things out in the offseason – and we're going to see a different Inter-Miami team come, come 2021. 
Yeah, let's not lose hope on Inter Miami and David Beckham's squad that he has created. I think that he's done a good job constructing his team outside of Pellegrini, their designated player out of Argentina. Young DP hasn't really performed. But Iguain for me, yes, I do think he had a really good performance. It's unfortunate that he didn't even test the goalkeeper on the penalty kick. I would have liked to at least seen him put it on goal. To see him sky it is is disappointing, to be honest with you, especially as he's regarded to one of the most elite strikers in the world, just came from Juve, he's played for PSG, he's played alongside Lionel Messi and the Argentine shirt. So I would have liked to have at least seen him put it on goal. But specifically, I would have liked to have seen him put it in the back of the net. And the fact that he came closer with the bicycle kick is disappointing to me. Um, But I do think that, like Mike D said, it's going to take at least a year for this team to really start to gel. they got to figure out their midfield. Yes, they got Blaise Matuidi on a TAM deal. And that was a bargain for them to get him on that deal rather than a DP. So that allowed them to still sign. Gonzalo Iguain, and I'm glad to have both Iguains in the MLS. I think Gonzalo will go on to score a number of goals in this season. He may even get 10 before the end of the year. We've got nine games left. I got Gonzalo hitting 10 by the end of this season. So that's that's a little hot take. We'll 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 come back to that one at the end of the year. But for me. Gonzalo was a great signing. PK was absolutely awful. One thing I do want to talk about, though, is what in the hell do you guys think was said or what happened after that penalty kick to spark that flare-up after he missed? Something, something dirty, let me tell you. Something dirty. Like, that man did not take that well, which I love to see on the field. Like, come on now, you just came over from Europe. So why not talk a little shit to the man? Right. I agree. I think that – for me, it was – it had to have been probably frustration from Iguain, knowing that he came from his prestigious background and having three attempts – three. I mean, honestly, having one attempt and not putting in the back of the net when you're a prestigious striker like that is frustrating. I can imagine. I don't know because I've never played like that. But for him, having three attempts, especially one from the PK spot and skying is – a frustrating thing. So I think that's really what it came from. Yeah. You know, he's kicking himself after coming from Juve where he was so prolific. And then he comes to a team like inner Miami and a league like the MLS when he was over there. And you know, the, the guys on Juve probably heard that he was going there him and blaze. They're like the MLS. You can, we could dominate over there. And to be honest with you, blaze Matweedy hasn't looked like that great of a midfielder over here in the MLS. I'm just going to say that point blank period. Hasn't looked great. And Iguain, Iguain had a better debut than Blaze did. They obviously played two different positions. I do want to put this hypothetical out there. I know people call the MLS the retirement league. Gonzalo is, I believe, is he 32? Am I correct? I believe he's 30, 32. 32, 35, somewhere around that boat. <laughs> so Gonzalo's been around for a little while. I know that he looked good, but guys, I. From what I saw in the game, he did look a little bit slow, and he did look a little bit like Fred Rico, who's currently a player coach for D.C. United. So I don't know if this is a – it's a good signing for Inter Miami because he's going to make a difference, but for the league itself, it seems from my first glance at it, 
he does look a step slower than he used to be. So this goes again to reinforce the statements about the MLS being a retirement league. I do believe just a little bit. My thoughts on that are that I think we can get into a whole separate conversation for another podcast about retirement league versus selling league, which I think we should do, but the MLS has got way better as a selling league. I have to put that in there. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll talk about it. But to your point, for me, you have to understand, age is, age is a factor. So we're talking about Gonzalo Higuain, who has been a prolific striker, started in 2007. We're in 2020 now. So he's not going to score like he used to score. He's not going to be as limber as he used to be. You have to understand that age is obviously a factor. And I think that also to your point, people take the MLS for granted. People think that the MLS is a chump league, maybe, if you will. Probably not so much more now recently because of the amount of young Americans and players that we have going overseas, you know, Sergio Dest and, um, you know, players like um, – Pulisic and other players that I can't think of off the top of my head because I'm an idiot. <laughs> but we have a lot, of, a lot of talent going overseas now more so than we've had in a long time. So people talk about the, the MLS being a retirement league, and I think that there's this, there's this underlying thought that hasn't really been addressed, which is that it's really not. It's a physical league, and I think with this year – especially with the amount of young players that we've had go overseas, people are going to start to realize that more so. And obviously going back to the original topic, age is a factor. Prime yeah, is prime and he's not in his prime anymore. I mean, who's, who's, who's going to turn down seven mil and live in Miami, to be honest. So, I mean, why not? Why not retire there? All I'm doing is trying to stir the pot, boys. It is a, it's equivalent it's equally a retirement league as it is a selling league. The MLS has done a really good job over the past few years at trying to make it a selling league and developing their young players. Great signing for Gonzalo. I predicted 10 goals and nine games for Gonzalo. So let's see how that goes. All right, guys, let's, let's track that. So everybody at the end of the MLS season come December can call me an absolute idiot. Extreme hot take, extreme hot take. It's so hot scorching. I got my floss water. I'm using it as a fan right now, personal fan. But Poopus just talked about moving to Miami. Florida is a hotbed for COVID. But let me tell you, the Colorado Rapids, their upcoming match for Sporting Kansas City has been postponed to October 21st, and their upcoming match for Portland will also be postponed due to 19 players and staff testing positive for COVID-19. The last scheduled regular season matches will take place on Sunday, November 8th, which means teams will be playing every four days starting this Saturday. Colorado, who are fifth place in the West, will have less than that. With, they'll be playing about every three days due to postponements. How do you think these COVID-positive cases will affect the Colorado Rapids' chances at making a push for the Western Conference top four? I got one word, complacent. That's what they are. I'm confused. I need you to I need you to explain yourself. So they just they so what they did the bubble they just totally just ignored everything they did there and just pretty much doing whatever they want and they're not so pretty much they don't they don't really care about this MLS season right now. They might, but if you're not 
hold on. Let me, let me get to my point. So pretty much they're going out and doing whatever they want right now. And then they're being around a bunch of people, which they weren't in the bubble. So they're getting complacent of what they're, what the environment they're being in right now. I would be careful before making assumptions saying that they're doing, going and being involved with a bunch of different people. There are a bunch of different scenarios in which they could contract the virus. So not only the players, but the staff themselves, um, they have spouses, relatives, children that are going to school, going to work, coming home. And it doesn't necessarily have to be contracted from them going out to the local pub or them, you know, going out. To I'm, the local I'm not saying going to the pub. I'm just saying they're just, they're not, they're not doing like the, what they did in the bubble. So to his point, it would seem as though if we were to make an assumption that we haven't seen any other team with this amount of cases that, Hey, maybe, maybe this team's getting a little complacent. However, this is a bad time coach. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if they didn't play again. I mean, this is, this is 2020. Nothing is surprising to me at this point as for a lot of people granted their whole team hasn't come down with the Rona, but who's to say with six players, seven players, however many it is that have tested positive for the virus and, you know, 11 or 12 that have, that have tested on the staff side that they don't, they don't call this whole thing off. I mean, we don't even know what players, at least I don't, that have tested positive. The only player that I know that it's come out and said that they've tested positive is Hagelin for Nashville. And if that's the case, that plays a huge factor in how they go forward. So obviously the biggest, the biggest thing for me is the amount of time between games and the recovery. Three, three days between games, especially when you're playing up against opponents like LAFC, Seattle two times, Sporting Kansas City two times. You need all the recovery you can get, and you need to have your team fit. Six players testing positive, or however many it is, we don't know who they are. These could be key players. These could be Count Acostas. This could be Cole Bassett. So that plays a huge role in it. Now, granted, if these aren't the players that are testing positive, and it's maybe players on the bench or however, whatever the case may be, it still obviously plays a factor. But I think the biggest thing – combined with that is the amount of rest time they're going to have, especially against the opponents that they're getting ready to face up against. I think that surprisingly to me, I didn't really pay attention to this up until now, but they're sitting in fifth place, which is they're hanging around. This team's hanging around. They're managing to get wins. They're managing to get draws and they're sticking around in mid table, which is great for them. But with this COVID-19 and the positive cases that have come up recently, it's going to be detrimental to them, especially when we learn more about what players actually are testing and are not going to be or testing positive and are not going to be able to play. Yeah. So in reference to the amount of games they're going to play in a short period of time, time, 10 games in 32 days. And essentially that means five double game weeks in a row leading up to the MLS playoffs. So, yes, the rest period between games is going to be a factor. 
everything is pretty much concrete in this. So there's not a whole lot of opinion that I can give. And I'm not going to give an opinion on how they may have contracted this because this is such a, an unprecedented time. And it's a, a virus that we really, it's, we've never seen it before. So we, we don't know how to judge it. But the MLS and the NWSL, starting with their bubbles, have led the charge in bringing sports back in the United States. And since the bubble has ended in Orlando, we really haven't seen, other than isolated cases, we haven't seen an outbreak like this. So with us getting to the final nine games of the season and finally getting this news is a little disheartening to me. And the same thing is happening in the NFL with the, the Tennessee Titans and their game has been postponed this week as well. So for me, the MLS has done a great job. It's just, it's hard to predict. It's hard to maintain. And I just want to give a shout out to the MLS for providing and doing such a good job and providing protocols that have been successful thus far. It's hard to sustain this success with a pandemic going on. 100%. I agree. We haven't seen anything really up until this point with Colorado having their, their positive tests. And I agree 100% that the MLS has sort of trailblazed the return to sports in the United States. So hats off to them. They've done a great job. It's unfortunate to see, especially in crunch time right now, when we're at a spot where no points can be given up because the points that are given up are going to lead to massive drops in your table and possible playoff runs. And you also got to remember in the bubble, MLS had full control. Now it's up to our organization to do this, to take care of them. So that's another point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think that any organization is doing a bad job at maintaining and supervising their players. I think everybody's doing the best that they can because since the restart has happened, I think the players in the league has proven that they are dedicated to finishing this season as wholly as possible. And something like this, unfortunately, we haven't talked about it. And it's kind of like an unspoken word. You know, you don't want to talk about it, but unfortunately something like this was probably going to happen. And we've already seen it happen week four of the NFL. So, you know, the NBA has gone the whole time. They're in the bubble right now in the NBA finals between the Lakers and the Heat. They've been in the bubble the whole time, so they've kind of avoided the, any kind of social interaction. But with teams going back there, the regions and their home markets, we, in a perfect world, we would like to think that it would – work a hundred percent but realistically there were going to be isolated cases but we also had to go ahead and prepare ourselves for the worst for a mini outbreak within a team yeah of course i think but you almost for me personally after the almost was back you almost kind of forgot about it you never didn't you know you didn't hear about these cases and I thought everything, it almost seemed like a normal. We were back, MLS was playing, regular season games, going this this place and that place. And, and, and Mike D, let me interrupt you, and that is exactly what sports is here to do. It's to distract you from what is really going on 
And that is exactly what it did until reality smacks us right back in the face. Of course. I, I agree a hundred percent. It's definitely disappointing to see. I hope that they are able to continue playing. I hope that these players that are isolated are able to be quarantined and, and come over their sicknesses and with minimal symptoms and get back to regular season play and finish out these games that have been postponed so that we can have some sort of normal ending to the season. Yeah. With all that being said, since we're talking about the Colorado Rapids, I'm going to go ahead and announce our next guest. For anybody that is still listening to this podcast, probably about an hour in at this point, our next guest has four goals and four assists in less than 600 minutes. He's a 19-year-old U.S. Men's National Team product, Cole Bassett, from Colorado Rapids. So, guys, tune in. We'll be recording this upcoming Monday. The podcast should be out Tuesday. Cole Bassett, Colorado Rapids. It's coming at your ears live. With all that being said, fellas, we've covered a lot of topics tonight. We've covered our goals of the week. We've covered the top four in the East. We've covered covered Gonzalo Higuain's missed penalty kick. We've covered, unfortunately, well, actually, we've uncovered the Colorado Rapids COVID-19 cases. Is there anything else we want to touch on before we get off here and drop into Verdansk? No. I think, I mean, honestly, I think we covered a lot. Looking forward to next week. Looking forward to checking some beers, enjoying my weekend. And everybody else's weekend, so everybody take care and stay safe. Poopus wasn't going to mention it, but his birthday is Saturday. Is your birthday Saturday, Poopus? Oh, my yep, sadly. Stole oh, my thunder, Chuck. Stole my thunder. Oh, man. How old? <laughs> Poopus, what are you going to be, like 45? Uh, pretty damn close. 29. 29 on the dot. Oh, man. Guy's got another year till dirty 30. All right. Too old. Me, too damn old. For me – Thank you all for listening. It's been a great podcast. It's been a great conversation with the boys, as always. We've covered a lot of good topics, I think. We have a really big episode coming up with Cole Bassett. We have another surprise bonus coming up in midweek. Can't wait to let you guys know about that. Until then, everybody, wear a mask. Stay safe. Obviously, this COVID has reared its ugly head again. And until we meet again, Everybody have a good time. And if you can't have a good time, stay safe. And listen, <laughs> you can't be good. Be careful. Hey, Mike D wants you guys to stay safe. Say, stay safe. I can't even talk. He wants you guys to say, stay safe, okay? Yeah, right. You might as well just stop talking right now because you can't <laughs> even say it. So. I will. I'm having a very hard time <laughs> saying the word stay. But anyways, guys, you guys can check us out anywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever, MLS Gone Wild. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MLS Gone Wild. We'd appreciate a review, rating, anything like that on Apple. That would be a huge help for us. In the meantime, until we come at you guys again next Tuesday, again, interview with Cole Bassett next Monday. Colorado Rapids standout homegrown player, youngest homegrown player in Colorado Rapids history. Cole Bassett, interview with him Monday, out Tuesday. Check it out. We'll bring you guys the links. Until then, you guys stay safe, stay home, stay healthy, go crew, wear a mask. We'll catch you all next week. Peace.